This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of May 1st, 2021. New Belgium is making a bad beer on purpose, though. Seems like being locked inside all year was not good for wine. California Company fills Kentucky man with intense rage. And Buffalo Trace gets into the Baidu game. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. Let's get right into the news. Yes, a weird New Belgium story this time around. So uh, it might be hard to believe, but a major brewery, New Belgium, just created a beer that tastes bad intentionally. Uh, on Monday, New Belgium Brewing announced the release of Torched Earth Ale, a limited edition beer in its fat tire line that's specifically crafted to emulate what post-apocalyptic brews might taste like. I'm going to go ahead and ra- raise a hand here and say it probably tastes fantastic coming off the bright tank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to somehow guess probably not. At least it probably tastes better than it does later. Yeah. Uh, the beer is about made fantastic. The beer is made with scant ingredients that would be available to brewers if we fail to prevent climate change. Smoke-tainted water, dandelions, and drought-resistant grains. I was going to say, it's 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 depression beer. Yeah, I mean, I've had a good dandelion beer before. We did back uh, like when we were in Asheville. Uh, someone mm-hmm. brought a dandelion something ale that was pretty good. And then, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're smoking it, so smoked dandelion... <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the kind of smoke you want since it's tainting the water. Yeah. Well, uh, the resulting taste is actually reportedly quite dismal, <laughs> which is the point. The company is seeking to make a statement about the disastrous effects of climate change ha- uh, climate change has on agriculture and how this greatly impacts major ingredients in beer like hops and malt. Uh, quote, aggressive action to help solve the climate crisis is not only an urgent environmental and social imperative, it's also a no-brainer for companies seeking to create long-term shareholder value, compete with rivals like China, and create good-paying jobs here at home, said the New Belgium CEO, Steve Feshheimer, in an email uh, press release. As a medium-sized company, New Belgium can only have a medium-sized impact. We need more of the big guys to step up. Which is just generally true for most things. Yeah. But uh, this is this is very much in New Belgium's wheelhouse. Like they yeah. are very like environmentally very focused when it comes to their stuff. Like let's take a uh let's take what is basically a natural disaster waste land and clean that up and make it into a beautiful Yeah. You know, we talked about that before, right? On how, the New Belgium episode, yeah. yeah. How the um Asheville space was a what what did they call it? 
class F something. It was like class like F it was brown space or something. Yeah. Like it was yeah, worse. Like, it was worse rated. It was worse than a dump because it yes. had been a dump at one point, and then people illegally dumped things that dumps aren't supposed to take there. And yeah, all I could think of is that bit from Futurama. Where it's like, man, I really regret that period of time when my toilet broke down. I just went in the ba- <laughs> I just went in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> no, you would. You'd be surprised how many people do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, the article mentions that this isn't the first time New Belgium's taken interest and uh, approach to raise awareness, which, again, like we talked about, not really surprising. Uh, in 2020, after Fat Tire became the first certified carbon-neutral beer, New Belgium marked the occasion by marketing $100 six-packs. The steep cost of the release was intended to reflect the grave future in which beer will become dramatically more expensive because of climate change. And we covered that story, actually, when that happened. I remember that somehow. So diacetyls? Carbon neutral? (laughs) You don't know. Uh, Along with the release of Torch to Earth, the company has also unveiled its own plan to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2030, which seems to be a magic number for a lot of companies. Uh, Well, I think that's like their their deadline of like, hey, hey, yo, uh, we're we're all we're it's already ruined. This is the way to stop it from getting catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And it's companies can. That's a point to where it sounds like they're taking close enough to immediate action, but they're actually just kicking the can down the road. And they also know that. Can. They're like, we're going to give this can a real good kick. But to everyone else, it's going to sound like we're putting our best foot forward. And we are to kick this damn can. Yeah. <laughs> our best foot to launch that can so far down the road that we'll be dead by the time we have to worry about it. <laughs> well, to help other companies follow suit, New Belgium offers a digital blueprint on its website as a resource for breweries that are looking to operate sustainably. And if you're interested in the, depends on how you look at it, tasty beer uh, mm. for Torched Earth, you can order it online or you can get it at the either Fort Collins or Asheville tap rooms. I feel like I th- that needs to be a collaboration with Burial. <laughs> right, just because of the name. <laughs> Yeah. Torch dirt. The, the the label looks really cool, honestly. So as most burial labels do no, not most, That's all true. burial labels. That's true. Are just literal works of art. Mm-hmm. I feel like the tires on that uh on that bicycle should be flat though. <laughs> right. Point just, just on the, the label. Yeah. Uh anyway. I mean, you know what, let's, I mean, it's a depressing future, but, you know, we've got some other stories here that are going to lift you up. So, Chris, take it away. What, what bit of good news do you have for us? Well, let's, let's take the air out of those tires and wine consumption collapsed last year to its lowest level in two decades. Well, now these tires are flat. For some of us, compulsory isolation only made popping bo- uh, popping a bottle seem more enticing, yet that was not the case for drinkers across the world last year. Global wine consumption declined significantly in 2020, reaching its lowest level since 2002. What? It's been a minute. Uh, I, I'm wondering, like, why was it so low in 2002? Uh, like, globally. War like, on terror? I mean, I, I don't get, know. I'm just guessing. I don't like. I'm now. I'm re- trying to figure that out. Uh, on Tuesday, the International Organization of Vine and Wine (OIV) 
reported the 2020 data in its annual State of the World Viticulture Sector Report. Overall, Vita Viticulture. Yes. Vita 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 Overall wine consumption dropped 3% or roughly 6.2 billion gallons. You know, 3% sounds a lot less bad. Yeah, and that also makes you go, wow. That's we a drink lot a lot of wine. Of wine. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's also you know, it's 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 in other countries a lot more culturally to be like, "Hey, yeah, no, you just have a wine, glass of wine with with dinner. The whole family has some. A little bit in Junior's cup, too." Regardless of the bleak year for wine, the previous prediction from the OIV's uh, director, Power Roca, did not come to fruition. Roca projected a drop uh, as much as 10%. That was oh, a bit God. too negative, he said, in an online press conference. How, how? I don't want to actually work out the math, but just think of how many ga- billions of gallons that would be. Too many At billions. least double. Too many balance or, points. Yeah. The wine industry suffered greatly at the hands of the pandemic-related uh, restaurant closings. We were discussing uh, pre-show about this. We're like, how? It's like, oh, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. Since Yeah, because usually, especially in America, if you're, if you're having a glass of wine, you're doing it when you're eating out. Exactly. And there wasn't a lot of eating out done last year. Uh, a blow that was partially softened by the increase in wine sales through e-commerce outlets, large retailers, and supermarkets. The latter, according to Roca, might have been wine's saving grace. Supermarkets really helped compensate for the hospitality industry's losses. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're stuck at home and you're just like, well, I guess it's wine o'clock. Someone, not me, must have said. Well, um... <laughs> That that's good for you know your mid and lower level wines, but uh, high end wines were hit the worst with the closings yeah. of tasting rooms, while larger wholesalers were buoyed by off premise sales. Because when you're sitting at home drinking at you know like eleven a.m. on a Tuesday because the world shut down, you're not reaching for that two thousand dollar bottle. <laughs> no, you you don't want your. Uh, uh... Dom Perignon, you want some Chewbuck Chuck. Yeah, you're not not the stuff you're saving for a nice dinner party. Some uh some Riesling or something. Look, I've got you, a, get, you get some Franzia and you're just slapping that bag on your at the end of your work day. Your your online work day. Slapping that bag for lunch. <laughs> By the end of the day, you're using it for a pillow. The United States remained the world's largest wine consuming country at nearly nine hundred million gallons. Despite exorbitant European tariffs set in place by the former president Donald Trump that threatened the wine industry at its core. With few things to celebrate in 2020, sparkling wine and champagne sales unsurprisingly also plummeted last year. Uh, conversely, <laughs> boxed wine sales flourished, climbing a mm-hmm. whopping 12%. So there you go. A lot of a lot of people slapping the bag last year. Just saying Franzia probably saw this like, how are we gonna no guys? This is our time. This, this is when we're going to work. You know, make our profit. How do you figure? No one's there to judge them. No one's there to judge them for their box of wine. Fact. <laughs> Except other people in the line at the liquor store. But all of them, according to this, so, also had a also, box of wine. <laughs> uh, like, look, times were tough. 
It's a lot cheaper to buy it by the box. I gotta I gotta pay attention next time we're in Costco. Can you buy like a case of boxed wines? It is essentially just a pallet. They just bring out a pallet uh, jack and we're like, we'll take this out to your car for you. Some <laughs> someone like build a refrigeration unit in their house and just make a throne of boxed wine and just you know, pour a little bit out of the armrest while they're while they're sitting there, I don't. I, my, mine immediately becomes far too elaborate. I know. It's, no, it's I'm what trying I to do. figure out what would. How would they pay fealty? Because it wouldn't be bending the knee. Would it? Would it be slapping the bag? They have to come slap <laughs> the bag. Uh, well, I wish I had more. I wish I had good news after this. But all I have is infuriating news. <laughs> As Drink Monday debuts a new non-alcoholic whiskey. I can't. I can't put into words. Does it how qualify as whiskey words. at that point? It, it 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 can't. There's no physical way it could. The Kentuckian in me says it's not. God, I'm just waiting for them to say they released a bourbon, and then I will I will drive down to San Diego and find Kentucky, this place. Kentucky wouldn't allow it. <laughs> Kentucky would raise up in arms. The entire state just traveling to. We would recall any other state's ability to produce uh, a whiskey and call it bourbon. I just realized we need a a sounder. We need um, Gomez just from the second Adams Family movie. Not in this. Not house. in this house. <laughs> <laughs> we do need that sounder. We need that specifically for the new show. And when the stuff comes, like not in this house. Anyway, uh, but yeah, San Diego drink. San Diego-based Drink Monday, uh, a player in the non-alcoholic spirits industry, which apparently exists, recently introduced a new zero-alcohol Monday whiskey. Now, someone else has recently put out like a zero-alcohol something. Uh, I feel like it was like a gin or something, or a vodka yeah, maybe? the gin, I think. Then it's just juniper juice. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound appealing. Uh, I'm, well, I'm just like, I'm just that's a different reading to the phrase gin and juice. Um, anyway, Monday Whiskey is the second non-alcoholic product uh, by Drink Monday. It's matured in white oak. This, and is it matured? At that point, it's just wood water. <laughs> wood water? Stump water. Which, stump water. That's what it is. Uh, anyway, the stiller notes that uh, show that it has the flavors of butterscotch, raisin, and burnt brown sugar. I, don't, I can't think of a lot of raisin. Well, no, I take that back. There are some Japanese whiskeys that that have something close-ish to raisins. Some scotches. Uh, yeah. But Monday, uh, Monday's makers say the non-alcoholic whiskey whiskey is. Get ready for some buzzwords. Keto and paleo friendly, made from natural ingredients with zero carbs, sugars, and calories. And what else, Brittany? Bad taste. That was, Sorry. There you go. No Sorry, that was what you said was, earlier yeah. when I <laughs> were picking the story up. Yeah. It's been a th uh, thrill. This is a quote from uh, their co-founder and CEO. It's been a thrill launching Monday Gin uh, and watching the brand grow this past year. The success has brought us the perfect platform to expand our portfolio with Monday Whiskey. And watching and Justin roll around on the floor with an aneurysm. <laughs> it won't be an aneurysm. <laughs> I'm gonna do, uh, normally I internalize my anger. I think this time it's going to get external. 
anyway, Boyd says that Monkey Win- uh, Monkey Monday Whiskey provides a rich, immersive drinks ex- uh, experience that it's complex and memorable, yet familiar. Layered with roasted coffee, rich caramel, and warm molasses, the palate of Monday Whiskey finishes with a spicy heat down the middle that hints of orange uh, that linger lovingly. Again, we talked about this when we when someone was bringing up the idea of doing fake alcohol before, like when we first started doing the news. And I am just now thinking of Scotty from that episode of TNG mm-hmm. when he discovers that synthahol exists. And he's like, yes, it gives you the pleasing taste of alcohol without giving you the the fuzziness and the hangover. Then what's the point? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. But yeah, when Drink Monday first brought Monday Gin to the market, they saw 1.38 million in sales in the first nine months, uh, uh, catching investors. I uh, they said there was a crowdfunding initiative that helped gives its loyal customers the opportunity to get involved. Uh, Drink Monday at an ownership level to date, the brand has raised more than 858 thousand dollars. So yeah, they are basically not working much further out than the San Diego area so they may actually go a little further but like i think at that with those numbers i don't think they're going to be setting the world on fire yet with abv that low they won't be setting anything on fire (laughs) hey oh sorry oh man chris you missed your calling as as a late night show uh sidekick (laughs) uh you are correct, sir. Uh, well, you know what? Let's let's talk about something that has actual alcohol in it. Maybe it'll make me feel better. Well, sure. Um, <laughs> I think it's also just like weird stories in brands we used to trust. <laughs> Weak. Well, brands we used to trust. Because <laughs> um, this one's about Buffalo Trace, and I'm like, uh, okay. So, Buffalo Trace, the producer of some of the world's most coveted bourbons, Pappy Van Winkle, George T. Stagg, and Weller, just to name a few, set to release an unexpected Baiju-style spirit. Baiju is the world's best-selling spirit and accounts for 31% of the global alcohol beverage market. The Sazerac- that is nuts. Yeah. And then I think China real big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, yeah. Uh, the Sazerac-owned brand is trying its hand at the Chinese spirit for the 24th release in its experimental collection, according to the Lexington Herald. Uh, while the Baiju-style spirit I've contains, heard of that newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, contains traditional ingredients like sorghum and peas, it was distilled like a whiskey and aged for 11 years in three separate casks, charred, mm. uncharred, and toasted white oak. The release okay. comes in at 90 proof and boasts aromatic notes of chocolate and stone fruit, that sounds fine. <laughs> okay, here's... I never thought of peas as being something you would you would distill from. I love peas. For the longest time, it was about the only vegetable I would eat. Good for you. <laughs> I hate that. And now I'm just... It's fine. But I'm just literally like, how... Is it all, like, distilled out at that point? Like, is there any like- flavor that's left? This, okay, this is going to be my life from now on. We've but like, left flavor country. It reminds me of the, that TikTok 
uh, the guy when when he was in Whole Foods, he's like, they make milk out of everything now. He's <laughs> like, I only drink milk from asparagus. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of what's <laughs> happening now with with whiskeys. Mm. Well, like this, this isn't them doing a whiskey. This is them treating a different alcohol like they would treat a whiskey. Yeah, it, it's in, it's it's interesting that traditional ingredients, and it lists peas, and it's like, wow, have we done an episode on Vaiju? No, not. it's in our it's we we talked about this before. It's in our it's in our thing of like stuff to do. I don't think we got to it yet, but we do have it in our. It'll have to be next year because we like this year's booked. Yeah, yeah. Booked the f up. <laughs> Probably gives us more time to mess around with it. We still got to do moonshine, and we still got mm-hmm. an overall episode for Japanese whiskey, and yeah, I can like all the brands we still need to get into. Like it's that, this is good because then we can keep going. <laughs> that Chris, you you're you're saying like we've got so much to go. What you're actually saying is content. Yeah, like, sip, uh, strap yourselves in, folks. Um. So yeah, uh, if you're interested, this experimental collection will be hitting shelves in late April, early May. So now-ish. Carries a suggested retail price of $46.99 for a 375 milliliter bottle. It's a limited edition release and uh, sure to fly off the shelves. Probably just because it's, you know, definitely different. Um, And then for those whiskey lovers looking to break out of their southern comfort zone, be sure to pick up a bottle while you can. So, um, I think about this though. They aged this for 11 years. They have been working on this since what, 2010? It's been a minute. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the the whole thing about, you know, whiskey production is like they made that a decade ago. Yeah. You won't know anything until much, much later. I love that picture that they've got on for the article. Oh, yeah. The bottle, the experimental collection. Like I'm, I'm interested now to see what the bottle could look like of the Baiju. I have to assume too. They're like, oh, and this is this is our our Baiju drinking glass. And like, of course it is, because everything, everything has, has its has own specific glass. glass. Yeah. Which I had to seize the opportunity, even though there's like a glassware purge coming here, because I'm like eyeing some universal glassware and just getting non-branded glassware. But I still, I've been trying to figure out for tastings and just shares when there's a bunch of people over like we don't need huge glasses for that we just need you know little tasting glasses and then a neighbor moved out and just set like a whole box of glassware out as you do and i noticed i was like oh and i looked in there and they have like some of the dark charge little tasting snifters and things i was like well we'll just go ahead and grab some more of those (laughs) don't mind he's just walking out going don't mind if i do it's like, well, if, if you're going to insist. And, uh, there was a perfectly good uh, Glen Cairn in there. And, like, well, I get it here, and it's, for, it's like, branded with something that I don't know and don't care about. And I was like, it's still a perfectly good Glen Cairn. I don't, like, I'm not, <laughs> those aren't exactly cheap, but they're not expensive. Either way, I'm, it's a good Glen Cairn. I, I'm not going to leave it out in the cold. You know what else you might not leave out in the cold if you got the money? Some real old, rare Irish whiskey. Mm. The second batch of Ireland's oldest ever whiskey collection will be released this May with a single bottle costing $45,000 US. Nope. (laughs) 
presented a hand-blown Waterford crystal decanter displayed in a wooden cabinet made from reclaimed whiskey vats. There are just several, seven, 70 bottles made of Middleton uh, very rare silent distillery collection, chapter two in the I, world. I feel like that's worth every penny. <sighs> I'm getting eye rolls and people, it's like, you no. Know, with a history like that, like I want to know, did the, are they from the vats from the old Middleton distillery? Like, give me some history on those and it might very well be worth it. The old Middleton Distillery in Cork County, uh, sorry, in County Cork, closed its doors in 1979-75. After 150 years in business, several casks of whiskey, uh, several casks of trial whiskey innovations disappeared with it. They slumbered deep within the barrels for close to half a century until their resurrection last year. The first release was a 45-year-old peated single malt created in 1974 by master distiller emeritus Max Crockett and guarded at the abandoned distillery for four generations since. (laughs) Wow. I like to imagine it was just like this old drunk Irishman. When we say guarded, (laughs) like he's literally just like sitting on the barrels with a double-barreled shotgun. He's just sitting there and he's got like his dog next to him, the dog barking, hey, oi! Get all here. That turned Australian. I don't know. I'm sorry. We went in a different direction, actually. We don't do Irish uh, accents. We're sorry. Just do, do Pikey. Just channel Brad Pitt. Oi! Get out of here, Molly! Dags. You like Dags? Uh, the second is a 46-year-old uh, single pot still whiskey created in 1973 with a price tag of $5,000 higher than Chapter 1. Apparently, CNN that had this got to taste both. Wow. Jealous. Yep. Single pot still has a style of Irish whiskey being made from a single distillery and a mash malted and unmalted barley in a pot still. We've done an episode of that in the main show. You've probably heard it. Middleton Very Rare Silent Distillery Chapter 2 was made, as makers say, in the world's biggest copper pot still. Began its maturation journey as a selection of sherry and bourbon casks where it was left undisturbed for 20 years. The whiskey was then married and recast into and to refill bourbon casks. Years later, it was recast into port pipes and once again laid down to acquire further depth and complexity. That sounds amazing. Finally, because we're not done yet, it oh. rested once again in a bourbon cask until being deemed to have reached peak perfection by Middleton's current master distiller, Kevin O'Gorman. That, yeah, no, that sounds <laughs> decadent. Yeah. And then part of me is like, you switch casks that many times, you're going to get some unwanted bugs in there. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Uh Anyway, the <laughs> apparently they just say that rich mahogany splashes into the glass, then a fruit fruity bouquet hits the nose, exotic spices too, and the sweet uh, sweet whirl of caramel, toffee, and fudge. Mm. Uh, Ogorum says, "I get ripe plum, blackberry, a hint of black currant, and lots of fruit." I've never gotten fudge out of whiskey. That'd be fine, though. I mean, just, eventually just you might get some in. fudge out of. Uh, this is mainly driven by the time whiskey is spent in the port pipe all the way down from Portugal. Complex aroma is rounded out by the hint of leather and a twist of hazelnut. Yeah, uh, yeah apparently the 
cask strength is 53.5% alcohol, a tad stronger than last year's. Uh, they taste it neat first in order to appreciate its smoothness, uh, and then multi-layered uh, finish and long moments the spices wave their goodbyes in the fruit and to your left with a savor of the toasted oak and barley. Uh, then they added distilled water, uh, which was delivered all the way from uh, Dragurney River in Middleton. And then everything opened up. <laughs> in this case, it becomes more fruity and again, toffee fudge notes. Toffee so, fudge. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got, what was it, $45,000, maybe uh, maybe go buy some Irish whiskey. It's or, very rare. Or we could go to the other side of the spectrum. And uh, you go pick up some natural light adult freeze pops. Yeah, just in time for summer. They look like tampons. <laughs> yeah. It was a matter of time for something weird Justin like this had to happen. The, the, no, the whole only reason this story's in here is because you look at the picture and it's like, it looks like a pile of tampons. I think I'm actually the one who put that link in there. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are. You should see the you should see the box for it. They. Uh, I'll I'll share it with you afterwards. But it. They seriously just look like tampons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, natural lights, frozen tampons—I mean, icicles, <laughs> uh, adult freeze pops made by how? How would that work? Um, you say alcohol doesn't. Adult frozen tampons. How? How? Oh. <laughs> Cooling from the core. Anyway, adult freeze pops made by the budget beer brand will be here in time for the hot. It says Vax summer. Vaccination. Yeah, Hot so people people summer. have been vaccinated. But it's really not helping with with how the packaging help. looks. It helps nothing. Yeah. All right. Uh, the brand known affectionately as Natty Light is releasing new additions to its alcohol offerings, including alcoholic popsicles. Look, you can get tons of alcoholic popsicles everywhere. There's like crates of alcoholic popsicles at Costco. I still want to get them. I think that'd be a fun thing to do this summer. We might do it for, for patrons. I really think we. Anyway, um, Daniel Blake, a senior vice, a senior vice president at Natural Light. How many vice presidents do they have at Natural Light? Mm. Told CNN Business that the popsicles and other non-beer options are an effort to add variety to the brand's offerings. And with this story and some other things that we've had just sitting in our catalog of options every time we do a news episode, a few things we've not talked about. There are Warhead uh, hard seltzers out there. Stone Brewing has entered the world of hard seltzers. And then we just noticed today that Rogue Ales has now entered not... uh, They don't call them hard seltzers. They call it like something lemonade Hmm. or something Hmm. lemonades. But they're in the essentially hard seltzer world as well. They're in uh, the the European lemonade where it's fizzy (laughs) realm, I'm assuming. I didn't, uh, but yeah, that's so all these old school craft beer brands and like all well, and you know who's you know who's doing the warheads, right? Who? Artisanal brew artisanal brew works. Okay then. Hmm. So like people like we were kind of like, yeah, no, these are brands we know of for making, you know, good to very good beer. And they were just stare at it now and go Why? Because they like money, that's why. But yeah. 
They want to be competitive. They're not stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> it's actually it, really smart. It's just that we're like, no. Is it really smart? Is it for sales? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Literally for money. That's. I mean, that's. They what, why money. else are you doing this? <laughs> no one wants this. I just. Can you can you compete with the claw? Can you compete with truly? That's a very good point. Like the the brand the big brands are out there. Like White Claw at this point is the the ubiquitous term. The it's the Kleenex of the hard seltzer. You know, it's because uh, there ain't no laws when you're crushing claws. Indeed, there in fact are laws when you're crushing the claws. Please drink and drive responsibly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't right. drive don't and do drink. That Didn't at we? Turn down. <laughs> we did that right, like when the memes were at their highest yes. point, and there were all the like police departments. White, White Claw out. had put out a statement that said, "No, there are in fact laws when <laughs> you're drinking the claw." Because so many police departments were doing that, and it was just oh, it was so terribly funny. <sighs> all right. All right. <laughs> Uh, so we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news-only show, but we also do a weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And we will see you again in another couple of weeks for the next live episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>